Welcome to the Michigan Opportunity, an economic development podcast featuring candid conversations with business leaders across Michigan. You'll hear firsthand accounts from Michigan business leaders and innovators about how the state is driving job growth and business investment, supporting a thriving entrepreneurial ecosystem, building vibrant communities, and helping to attract and retain one of the most diverse and significant workforces in the nation. Hello, I'm Ed Clementi. Today, I'm going to have a friend, I would say a friend. We've known each other a short time, but he's a really nice guy. Uh, Herb Drayton, he's the executive director for Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Business for Detroit. Did I get it all correctly, Herb? That is correct. And um, that's a mouthful. So why don't you kind of tell us what the Goldman Sachs initiative is and maybe how it started and things like that? Sure. Before I do that, thank you, Ed, for having me on today. I appreciate the opportunity. Now, the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses Program started with its first site being New York City in 2011. So we've been going now for 12 years. Here in Detroit, we've been going since 2014. And the program started, uh, actually, it started with the 10,000 Women's Program over in Europe. So it's been going for for quite a while. Uh, Here in Detroit, we have trained 800 businesses over the uh, now nine years that we've been in existence. So we focus on going after existing business owners that want to learn how to grow. Anywhere from $75,000 in revenues all the way up to $20 million in revenues. And the program is really designed to give them all of the knowledge, skills, training that they need to get on a path to growth. And so Goldman Sachs did this, I think, originally, too, because we were in a bad economy, too, I think, for the United States back then. And so they were trying to look for a way to grow out of this, I would imagine, too, to help make sure people survived the tough economy we had. I think that's true, Ed. Also, when you look at their um, their clientele, uh, the Goldman, Goldman Sachs is an investment bank. And so there's only so many Fortune 500 companies. And so as they look to growing their exposure, growing their marketplace, they realized that working with small businesses was a way to maybe entice uh, companies to use their investment services, as well as help, helping with their image following the mortgage crash of 2008. And oh, yeah. Just, yeah. That's just me talking. Yeah. Would never. <laughs> well, I was in the legislature on the banking committee and the mortgage bankers when that was all going down and every bank was sort of nervous back then. Yes, so, indeed. Yeah. And when they're all looking for opportunities and this was a good opportunity, Goldman Sachs. And like you said, you've done 800 people. And I know quite a few people, I think, on the podcast have probably been people that have gone through your program. And um it's a, it's a little bit, it's, well, I shouldn't say a little bit, it's kind of rigorous. This isn't just like you go through it and it's like, just check a box and I listen to some speakers, right? Don't they have to do some pretty hard work in it, right? They do have to do some hard work and it is very rigorous, very intense. It's a 14 week program. And in that 14 weeks, we cover every topic imaginable for a small business that wants to grow from operations and processes to marketing to focusing on themselves as leaders and a a number of other things. Uh, At the end of the training, we expect them to turn in a growth plan, 
which is a plan for how they intend to grow their business over the next five years, including a five-year financial forecast. Without that, they are not considered graduates in good standing. Yeah, I don't even know if I could do that. Um, the, uh, but, you know, it's funny because I came to one of your sessions while you were there one day. Why don't you tell people where you're located and then actually who sort of your partners are actually in this operation? Well, I appreciate that, Ed, because there are a lot of folks that have uh, a part to play in this program. We're located on the Wayne State University campus in Detroit. And our partners include not only Wayne State University, but Babson College, which is up in Boston. They do our curriculum. We have the uh, Initiative for uh, Competitive Inner Cities, which does our interviewing around the country. Uh, then we also have Macomb Community College and Oakland Community College that are uh, partners in providing facilities or, excuse me, faculty uh, to us. So along with them, we do have other partners as well. So as as these partners, I, I would imagine, do they help with the screening part of it? Like probably not every business who applies can get it, I would guess. Is there some kind of like an interview process almost or how does it work? I don't even know. Yeah, there is, a, there is an interview process, and that process is administered, again, by the ICIC, the Initiative for Competitive Inner Cities, and ah. they take them through a Part 1 application, a Part 2 application. They have to submit financial documents, including uh, income statements and balance sheets, and then they have to be physically interviewed by a panel to make it through with a final review by the Goldman Sachs Foundation, by our funder. Very rigorous. So I, I, I would imagine because of just from doing leadership programs myself and other things that um, it, there's probably both a challenge to get qualified people to or organizations or small businesses to do it, but then also of the ones that just apply, then you've also got to have another little bit of rigorous just to make sure that they're fundamentally the right candidates probably to go through the program, right? That's very true, Ed. And also, if you want to look at it numerically, we, we take metrics. Uh, we normally shoot for 120 initial applications per cohort, and we do three cohorts a year. And of that 120, at the end of the day, we'll end up with a cohort size of maybe about 30 to 35. Wow. So, and so you whittle it down quite a bit. Yes, we do. Yeah. And, and so, and like I said, I have known people that have gone through it and they, you know, it reminds me of like when I was in high school or in college where like, did you do your homework yet? You know, and like people, are, I got to get this done. I can't really talk to you right now. I got to finish up what I got to do, you know, for your program. And, 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 but then, but that's really important. You know, I, I think I told you before, I used to run a chamber of commerce, right? And uh -huh. we had like 1,500 members. And that was the commonality in businesses that didn't make it is a lot of them, like a restaurant, for example, right? Rest, my family owned a restaurant. Everyone likes a restaurant. Everybody thinks it's going to be fun. But the real, you know, the fun part of the restaurants, maybe 10% of it. The other 90% is you're running a business with a lot of employees and you got to make bottom lines. You got food that prices that fluctuate. You know, there's a lot of elements and usually restaurants are the things that most people open up. I mean, usually I think from my days at liquor control, you know, a lot of the licensees, they would get in trouble because they didn't know how to run a small business. 
Well, you hit the nail on the head there, Ed, that for many, many entrepreneurs, regardless of whether they're a restaurant or they're starting a machining business or whatever the case may be, they start because they are good technically at something they like to do, but they may have never received education on how to actually run a business. And one of the things I wanted to mention, and I'm glad you brought this point up, was that what we do is we really change their mindset. We really change their perspective about what it means and what it takes to be the CEO of a business versus just a worker in the business. Oftentimes, you'll hear them say as they go through the training that they're learning how to work on the business and not just in the business. And it is a, a change of mindset. Oh, really huge. Is. Oh, yeah. My, my, I could remember all the time when I was a boss for either the restaurant or a chamber of commerce. It's like the people that work for you only saw a slice of the pie. Only you as like the CEO or whatever the company is, you have to see the 360. And it's, you, it's hard to explain the 360 to anyone else because it is such a much more holistic process than I think, you know, that's why small businesses are exciting. But they're also, I think, a bigger challenge than a corporation is sometimes. Well, one of the keys is, is a topic that we cover in one of our modules on delegation. And as they start to grow and they get bigger, there's a lot of things that they have to give, give up control over. Many of the business owners are what we would call control freaks. They feel like they have to have their fingers on everything going on. And you become an impediment to your own growth. We teach them how to get out of that. We teach them how to, uh, to actually focus on the things that they have to do as the business owner if they want to grow. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that too, because even it's not even just a business, but it's almost like a life lesson in some ways. It's not just like business, but like, I think like successful parents or I used to teach a high school and teach in high school, it's the triage you do every day that is really the difference. You could have all the resources and you could have all the passion you want, but if you can't make those binary decisions kind of quickly, that's what usually drags you down because you have to find out what is the biggest priority. You know, how do I make sure I make the most of this? I can't make it perfect and I don't want it to fail. So I got to be somewhere in the middle, you know, and you know, it's, it's hard to benchmark yourself sometimes with that kind of decision-making. Well, um, and also, also, Ed, I think that uh, you, you allude to a point that's very important for, especially for small businesses, that sometimes the business owner gets lost in the day-to-day -day transactional stuff and they kind of lose their own identity. One of the things that we do work on very hard is to get the business owners to look at their personal lives, to look at the you piece of running a business. There's nothing worse than a sourpuss entrepreneur as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> well, you know, and I think that, you know, it tends to be a lot of younger people that take the risks sometimes, right, to start a business, you know, because, but then all of a sudden they have kids or they get married or they buy a house or they have some other big purchase or something else all of a sudden competes with being that entrepreneur. And I mean, I know for my family, like my dad worked and I worked 
when I had to in the summer, seven days a week. I mean, there was no option. You had to, you had to be there because the business wasn't going to run itself, you know, and, but you, you had to delegate, as you said, too, you just couldn't do every aspect of it. Well, you know, interestingly though, Ed, we, and we do keep statistics on this. Uh, the Goldman Sachs Foundation wants to know everything about everything. Uh, our average age of the business owners that come into this training is north of 50 years old. Oh, really? Yes. And okay. many of them have been, even though we'll accept businesses that have been in business only for two years, many of them have been in business for seven, eight, 10 years. Maybe they got pushed out of a corporate environment and decided to start something uh, midway through their 30s or something like that. But we do get a lot of, uh, if you want to call them, seasoned veterans. You're listening to The Michigan Opportunity, featuring candid conversations with Michigan business leaders on what makes Michigan a leading state to live, work, and play. Listen to more episodes at michiganbusiness.org forward slash podcast. So how did you get involved in this? What is your story? I know you're not from Michigan originally. You're from the Midwest, but I'm pretty far west of here. Yeah, I, um, I, I came from Kansas City, Missouri. That's my my adopted hometown. And I went to school at Michigan State University, but uh, as, as what happens with many of us, uh, there was some tug on my life that brought me back this way. And I've been in Michigan now for about 30 years. I got started with this program in 2014 at the very beginning. I actually started working with small businesses in 2009 as a volunteer mentor. So I've been in the field for 15 years, uh, trudging along with the small businesses, trying to help them grow, prosper, and realize their dreams. You skipped over a couple of things, though. I think your background of your family being, I think, in the military, I thought, you know, I always, I said this to you, but I found that a lot of people who were sort of Army brats or Navy brats, you're Navy, right? Actually, yeah. Air Force. My father Air Force was Brad. Sorry, sorry. US Air Force. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, they sort of have a better real world perspective, I think, on things because a lot of times they couldn't just count on being in the same city their whole lives, right? And jumping around. And so, so did that affect you, you think? And did that help you for this job, you think, a little bit? Oh, no doubt. Uh, you, I think what the biggest thing that I got out of being an Air Force brat was that flexibility that gregariousness that allows you to uh, get into any situation and feel comfortable uh, dealing with people, dealing with different uh, cultures and different in industries and so forth. It has helped quite a bit. So I, I feel that it was a big contributor to where I am at this point in time. By the time I was 18, Ed, we had lived outside the country 12 years. So what countries? I lived in Canada, Africa, and Japan. Where'd you live in Africa? Which countries? Morocco. Oh, Morocco. Oh, wow. Yep. wow. Is there a military base there then or Air Force base? Still there. It's called City Slamain. Where's, mm -hmm. what, is it by one of the big cities or no? Mm -hmm. It's not too far from Casablanca. Oh, okay. Close to the uh -huh. coast even. Yeah. Um. So, but another thing too is you were pretty driven as, and you know, I'm going to, I'm not really outing you, but you had a really, you came originally to Michigan State for a scholarship, educational scholarship, right? That's correct. But then you drifted 
into what? <laughs> well, I I drifted into being a basketball player at Michigan State. I'm a proud well, it, me- member of the 1976-77 Michigan State University basketball team. Yeah, and that was who was it? One of the Kessler Kessler uh, brothers. Uh, which oh one yes, was it? Uh, Greg Kelser. Kelser, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's one of my best friends. Yeah. Uh, at the time, we had uh, Greg, uh, Ronald Bobo Charles, Terry Donnelly, and um, Edgar Wilson, Benny White. These were guys that kind of, along with me, uh, kind of made the way for them to get to their national championship in 1979. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> well, I'd imagine you probably met Magic quite a few times, too, probably over the time. A few times, but he's younger than I am, so... You know, yeah. when I left, he was just coming. So we, yeah. we did, did meet a few times. And you were under Gus Kanakis then? Yes, I started under Gus Kanakis. And then my year on the varsity squad was with uh, Co- Coach Judd Heathcote. And that was his first year at Michigan State University. You're still playing at Jenison then? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the they call it the barn or whatever that was. Yeah, yeah. big old barn. <laughs> yeah, I remember it. I used to usher there when I was yeah, at State. Yeah. Uh, probably ushered for some of your games. Um, <laughs> the uh, So, as a uh, couple more things, but any other sort of uh, future trends? Because I think you've already highlighted quite a few with how small businesses are evolving. But anything else you'd like to take a mention about future trends? Yeah, I don't spend a lot of time at looking at uh, trend data, but I will say this, that given what's going on with a lot of the major corporations, we see a lot of people being laid off and people shed from the corporations. And what I'm seeing is a, a surge, particularly in the women side of the world, to start and own their own businesses. And I think that's going to continue for at least the next five to seven years. As well as, I think that what we'll continue to see is that uh, some of these businesses will actually grow pretty explosively and pretty quickly as they begin to fill the void left behind by some of these corporations. And that's that's kind of what I um, what I focus on. What we focus on in the training is to teach people how to grow explosively, how to really explode the business up and make it something that not only rewards you personally, but rewards your community, uh, that gives people jobs, that allows people to uh, be a participating uh, person in this country that we live in. That's that's what I see happening. Yeah. You know, and I always tell people even when I worked at the chamber is that um, you got to know when you got windows because they don't stay open forever. So if you're going to explode, you better explode because I think some people are just normally reluctant sometimes, but in general, the opportunity might never pop up again, you know, and, and it, when you're new, I think you get more opportunities because you're not defined as much yet. Maybe. Well, and the key is being able to know which opportunities to pursue and which ones to leave alone. And so we spend a lot of time. That's one of the the, the key tenets of the program. Your business is the case study, but we, we have them to focus on an opportunity, which they may or may not pursue at the end of the training. But what they get is a method for how to approach growth going forward. 
and it's very, very valuable. Do, do does Goldman Sachs too look at sort of traditionally underserved populations too? Is that like a something they look at, or do they just look at all businesses with no specific criteria, or is that some of the criteria they look at? Uh, pretty agnostic in terms of which businesses they uh, bring into the training. However, they do keep track of what they call early stage businesses and underserved communities based on where the, the uh, final applicants come from. They like to, they do like to know um, if they're making a, a, a presence in all, all aspects of a community. So you're kind of like a living algorithm. <laughs> you, <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah, you probably have seen it all, right? Yes, um, indeed. I will. Uh, I'm going to ask you just a couple more questions. But um, what would you, if you talk to the young Herb living in Kansas City, uh, would you give the same career advice for today? Oh boy. Uh, if I were talking to a young me in Kansas City, I would probably tell me to not give up on your dreams. There's, there's been times, and I'm sure we all go through this, where we have what I call the FUD factor, fear, uncertainty, and doubt about what we're doing and where we're going. But don't give up on your dreams. They can be realized. And... My dream when I left Michigan State University was to enter the world of business. I didn't know what that looked like. I wasn't sure where I was going to go, what I was going to do. But my dreams have been uh, amazingly realized over the years. So don't give up. So do you think, I mean, obviously, I think it's really cool because I was a walk-on football player at a small school, not Michigan State, like up <laughs> north. But like, that really sort of says a lot about somebody because I remember every coach, even though I wasn't like someone that was recruited, it was always, they always counted on you to have actually more passion sometimes uh -huh. because you had to come a little harder road to find, you know, to get to that point. Agreed. But that's good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It makes you driven. So you've sort of adopted Michigan as your home now. Yeah. You've been here for quite a while actually, but, mm -hmm. uh, what, what do you like best about the state? It could be anything from what you do with your family or what you do for travel or whatever. Well, the, the, the biggest thing that I like about, and it really isn't about the state, but it's, it's about the people that you encounter and surround yourself with. I have found that people here in Michigan, for me, have always been welcoming. Uh, they've always been uh, people that I think are really genuine. And I have a really good group of friends and associates, as well as the people that have come through our training. I feel like I have 800 uh, baby entrepreneurs, so to speak. And so they, they call me all the time and let me know what's going on with their businesses. And we, it's just a great, for me, it's been a great community. Now, beyond that, I, I actually, when I left college, I was not real pleasant, pleased with the weather here. <laughs> However, Ed, I, I'd say now the weather is, hasn't been that bad. <laughs> well, Tyke, <laughs> just give it a short amount of time. We'll change again. Um, the, uh, but, you know, we have one other friend, a common friend, uh, Ferris, who actually is one of the people that works with you quite a bit, and he's been on the podcast before. 
to. And I know that you must be friends with all the people that help mentor and do all those other things too, right? Yes, the the economic development ecosystem in the Detroit and Southeast Michigan area is relatively small. And you get to know all of the folks. Uh, like you mentioned, Ferris, we first met in 2009 at uh, a... Troy Chamber of Commerce event, and we've been uh, colleagues. We've worked in the same organizations, and he now works as a business advisor in our program since 2014. So Ferris and I have been together a long time. Well, I, yeah, and I work with him on the Global Ties board, so it's been a Global Ties Detroit. Well, anyway, I want to thank our guest again, Herb Drayton. He's the executive director for the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses here in Detroit. And thanks, Herb. You're a great guest, and I really appreciate you taking time to talk to us today. Well, thank you, Ed. And if I could plug, if you're thinking about applying for our training, it's very easy. You go to 10KSBApply, and that will lead you through the first part of our application process. You'll get into our orbit, and we'll help you take it from there. Everybody I know that's gone through it always recommends it, even if it's hard. So it's a good sign. So keep up the good work, Herb. Thank you, Ed. Join us next week where we'll have Roberta Dalio. She's the director of URADA, the European Association of Development Agencies, working primarily in economic development issues. The Michigan Opportunity is brought to you by the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Join us and make your mark where it matters. Visit michiganbusiness.org forward slash radio to put your plans in motion.